All right, we are starting a new series today, which I hope will, uh, will be as good, if not better, than the Prodigal Son series. We're going to look at Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is one of the, the best-known Bible passages um, throughout the world. But when I say Psalm 23, you're probably thinking, what's Psalm 23, right? Well, you ever hear, the, the Lord is my shepherd? Everybody's heard, the Lord is my shepherd. It's, um, you can see it on coffee mugs, t-shirts. It's actually part of a rap song, I don't know if you know this, by a famous rapper named Coolio, whose uh, theology and beliefs are a little bit off, but he does make reference to walking through the valley of the shadow of death. In a um, the song that was used, was it in a Michelle Pfeiffer movie or something, uh, when she was a teacher in the inner city? Did you? Well, well, may, may your marriage be blessed more so than Coolio's. <laughs> we pray for him too, but... The point is, people know Psalm 23... Um, they know the words of it, or some of the words of it, but they really don't know what, it, what it's about, what it really means. And, and we're going to spend the next six weeks, five after this, going through Psalm 23 verse by verse. And uh, my goal is that I can share with you how God has opened up this psalm to me as I've been studying it, and it can um, mean more to you than it currently has. Another little side note is, um, I am, this starting this year, a huge fan of Bible memory verses. Huge fan of it. Let's memorize Psalm 23. It's a verse a week, okay? The first one is real easy. We'll do verse 1 this week. But in six weeks, you'll have a whole psalm in your Bible memory repertoire. There's benefit to this. It's not a futile exercise. But the title of this is uh, True Security. And as we go through these series, you'll see over the next coming weeks, every um, sermon is about truth. Psalm 23 is a, a psalm that is about truth. So um, this week, we're going to talk about true security. Let me give you a little story to start out with. When I grew up, this is an absolutely true story. I lived in the Fort Knox of domestic residences. We had, my, my front door where I grew up is a massive double door set with dead bolts that are like a bank vault. You can't come through. There are other doors um, that are heavily dead bolted, but there's one door in the back that is, was determined to be a um, blocked, sight line was blocked too much. And this door, not only was it thick metal, couldn't bust it through, but it had three sets of deadbolts, a high, a low, and a center deadbolt, in addition to a, a lesser deadbolt in the middle. So there were three heavy deadbolts and one light deadbolt. So you can't get through the doors in the house I grew up in. Well, there were also these wall sensors. You know why? You can saw through an alarmed house's walls and you won't set off the alarm. So if you took a chainsaw and hacked through a wall, it would never set off the alarm. A lot of people don't know that. But apparently, where I grew up, it was known. Every wall had vibration sensors. So if there was a chainsaw ever touched a wall, the alarm goes off. If someone were able to get through this, this perimeter, inside, this is all 100% true, there were beams, laser beams, that crossed every wall, up and down the wall. So you couldn't, if you got, somehow got through the alarm on the wall, you can't get into the house. Okay? But somehow, if you were able to get through all of that, there were motion sensors throughout the house. You could, it was... It was an impossibility, this is a 100% true story, an impossibility to make it upstairs into the house. But if everything failed in my dad's nightstand and closet were handguns. We lived in the Fort Knox of domestic residences, okay? This was true security. I, I never had a night in my life when I went to sleep thinking, I hope somebody doesn't break in and kill us tonight. It was an, an impossibility. That was true security, right? Well, not so much, because see, here's some problems. First of all, the house could burn down. We didn't have a fireproof house. It could burn down. We could all die in it. 
the power could go out. And there was backup. Last about four or five days. But after that, you know all those fancy alarm things? They don't work so well. There was a phone line issue too. I mean, it was very well taken care of. It wasn't just cut the normal phone line. But if someone broke in, the police got called. But if the phone line failed, the police would never get called. There'd just be a loud siren wailing. The handguns upstairs, while nice, they are not. They, they require human use. They're not fail-proof. They could jam. You could miss a shot. You could have a superior number of force come into the house. It was not completely secure. You see what I mean? In life, we all crave, everyone craves true security. Some people look for it in money. Some people look for it in relationships. Some people look for it um, in uh, opinions of others. Apparently, some people look for it in a home. But the point that I want to make today is that true security can only be found in God. We can put cheap substitutes for it, but true security can only be found in God. Psalm 23.1 is where we're going to start. And before we get specifically into that psalm, you've got to take a minute and think, who wrote Psalm 23? Any idea? Famous guy? David. What did David do for a, for a vocation before he was king? He was a shepherd, wasn't he? He was a, uh, a shepherd who had a lot of experience in the fields. And he didn't write Psalm 23 when he was sitting in the field as a little kid. He wrote Psalm 23 as an adult who had been through life, who had experienced life. But the foundation of his life was very much laid while he sat in the fields tending his daddy's sheep. Psalm 23.1 reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's your memory verse for this week. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's look at this first part. Being shepherded. Let's not miss the beginning of this. The Lord is my shepherd, right? My, I shall not want. Now, it could have said the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. It doesn't. It says the Lord is my shepherd. You've got to stop and think about that for a minute. You know when you go outside at night and you see those little dots in the sky? There are billions of them if you could see them, and they make billions of galaxies. You know who put those up there? God. You ever look at a little baby? Yeah, they got those little, little tiny hands and feet. And if you look at their eyes, I always find this amazing. An eyeball in a baby is one of the, and, and a person, but in a baby it's a little smaller. It's one of the most intricate creations ever. It's got all these cells put together in such a way that they can, they can take in light in such a way to, to send that message to the brain, to process it. And God puts this, this tiny little perfect eye inside a baby. And when he starts it, it's smaller than you could even see by the naked eye. See, God's not the God of the big. He's the God of the small and the big. He's the God of everything. And that guy who made the galaxies in the baby's eyes, he wants to be your shepherd. Your personal shepherd. When you think about that, it's a pretty amazing, awesome thing that, that the king of the universe wants to be your shepherd. You ever, you ever come across someone, I know none of us would do this, any name droppers out there? You know, oh, I know so-and-so, or I met so-and-so, or I saw so-and-so, or how about one of these if you want a name drop? God? It's my shepherd. God knows me. You know, I know God, but you could ask him. You know, he knows me. Imagine like, like, yeah, Barack Obama and I, we're friends. He knows my name. You know, it's like, really? Yeah. Well, how about if God knows your name? That's pretty darn cool stuff. That's what we're starting with this psalm. God? God knows you. And he wants to be your shepherd. When David says, "God, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think sometimes we lose what he's meaning because we read it like this. The Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. Right? David's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's an it's a exaltation. It's a praise. It is something he's so excited about. You've got to read it the way David wrote it. It wasn't, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, and Psalm 23 sometimes sounds like, yeah, you just go. No, David was pretty darn excited when he said this. So what does a shepherd do? Let me offend you a little bit. I'll offend me too. What does a shepherd do? No trick question. If I wrote Psalm 23, I would have said, the Lord is my corner man. Okay, I like the thought of being a boxer than a sheep. Or, the Lord is my lion tamer. The Lord is my shepherd. Why is David calling himself an us sheep? You ever think about that? Now, I grew up outside New York City, and I knew a little bit about sheep. They lived in the petting section of the Bronx Zoo. They ate for 25 cents out of a vending machine from kids' hands. And somehow when no one was looking, they made wool sweaters out of them. You know, I'm proficient in sheep. And they're cute and cuddly. You can pet them. Right? Isn't that what sheep are like? No. Sheep are dirty, nasty, mass-minded, um, timid little creatures. They're stubborn. They stink. They got lots of negative issues with them. David, no, this was no surprise. What was he we said before? Shepherd. So, when he calls God his shepherd, he's saying, I'm God's sheep. Mm, think about that for a minute. As we go through this psalm, I'm going to show you some similarities between people and sheep. A, a la couple, dirty, ornery, skittish, stubborn, follow the masses, left to their own will, they will destroy themselves. That couldn't describe us in our relationship to God now, could it? David calls us sheep for a reason, and we're going to see that as we go through the psalm. This is no... Uh, accident or slip of tongue. So what does a shepherd do? Now that we know we're sheep, y'all dirty, nasty, stubborn, mass-minded people, we all are, what does a shepherd do? There are three main roles a shepherd plays. Protection, provision, and guidance. Protection, provision, and guidance. Sheep need a shepherd. There are no domesticated sheep who, you know, you'll never go into the, into the streets of Lancaster, although maybe in Lancaster you could, you know, I should say Philadelphia, and see like a, a sheep walking around, a stubborn sheep, like, I live on my own, bah. I don't need a shepherd, bah. where's Starbucks, bah. sheep can't do it, they need a shepherd, well, how many people think that they can live on their own? I don't need God. I'm in control of anything. Ha, I provide for myself and my family, and I have my future in order. God, please. God will do what I say God will do, if he even exists. How many people say that? You know what God hears? Bah, bah. We need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. People need a shepherd. Here's the difference. If you're born a sheep, you don't get to say, bah, I would like to live with Farmer Joe. You end up with a shepherd. Through no choice of your own, you got a shepherd. You will only be as well off as your shepherd treats you and cares for you, protects, as, as well as your shepherd protects, provides, and guides you. People don't default to a shepherd. We choose a shepherd. Now, there's no unshepherded person in the world, though many like to think they are. They're really just sheep standing in the corner with their eye covered. You can choose two shepherds, primarily. One of them's God. You can tell me who the other is you like. He's got a couple names. Devil, Satan. You get one or the other. You will only be as well off as your shepherd makes you feel, or protects, provides, and cares for you, right? The majority of the world is saying, I don't want you to shepherd me, God. Stay away. Well, they think they're independently shepherded. Not really. We need to choose a shepherd. David didn't choose God as his shepherd just because. He chose God as his shepherd because he wanted true security. You see, as a Christian, we will be utterly and perfectly protected by God as we allow him to shepherd us. 
the more we allow it, the more we realize it. Does that make sense? It's really hard, isn't it, trusting God? It's you trust Him, and you see that He's faithful all the time, but you've got to trust Him to see the faithfulness, and then when you see it, you question it again. You know that stubbornness we talked about a couple minutes ago? David shows God, and he shows God for good reason. Now, there's this little catchy verse under here, I shall not want. Let's be honest. Let's not be Christian fluff today. Let's be honest, okay? Anybody here feels completely content and perfect and doesn't need anything else in their life? Right, anybody serious? Is anyone, can anyone honestly say, I have no wants at all. I shall not want. So, why is, what's David talking about? What does it mean to be in want? He says, you shall not be in want, so what does it mean to be in want? Any, any ideas? I'm going to look specifically at what I wrote, so I don't slip this one up. <laughs> can I give you a little bit of background on David? So, all in the Bible. David lost an infant child. David lost a wife. He lost a home multiple times. He lived in caves by no choice of his own. He had rebellious kids. And if you think you have rebellious kids, you have no idea what rebellious is until they try to kill you. He lost prestigious high-ranking positions. He lost his job, and a darn good one. He had javelins thrown at him. And in his own words in 1 Samuel 23, he says he felt that death was around any corner. Yet this man says, I shall not want. Well, buddy, I have news for you. you got a dead baby, a lost wife, lost homes. You lost a really good job. You've been living in caves, people trying to kill you. What do you mean you shall not want? Are you crazy? How about some peace and tranquility and prosperity? And a home doesn't have to be a nice home, just a home you don't lose. And a wife you don't have to run away from. And, and how about God? If you love me, why would I be living in a cave and having javelins thrown at me? feel like I could die any minute if I was David. I don't know that I would say, I shall not want. Think about your life. Have you ever lost a job? If you lose a job, do you go home and say, it's all right, God is my shepherd, I shall not want. You ever lose a child? It's a little more severe than a job, a home, a friend, a family member. You ever have people taking advantage of you and slandering you and running you through the muck and the mire of life? Do you say, I shall not want, God's my shepherd? But David did. You got it no worse than David. I'm going to go ahead and... And make that claim, because I know everybody here. People have, people have problems. I shall not be in want. See, here's what want is. Not being in want means you will never not have what you need to live life perfectly. You won't have everything that you desire, if it's for selfish reasons. But you have everything that you need. Now you may say, Pastor, come on. You know that there are Christian people who suffer who've been killed. There are children who are abducted and murdered. There are rapes that take place. There's war and famine and pestilence throughout the world. You're telling me no Christian ever suffered with that? No, that's not what I said. But I shall not be in want, is what David said. So how do you mesh the two together? It's kind of tough, isn't it? If you're a parent of a kid that gets abducted and murdered, how do you say to God, I shall not want? See, I took my kids to the doctor a couple weeks ago and we got shots. I went something like this. All right, guys, brush your teeth, get your shoes on. Where are we going? I'll tell you after you brush. We going to Moonbounce Adventure? No, just go brush. Going to the doctor. Why? They know it's checkups or at birthday time. Why? We're going to get shots. I don't want to go. Let's go. I don't want to go. Let's go. Get to the doctor's office. You know? Let's go. Let's sleep. I'm going to hurt. I don't want a shot. Can we please go? See, 
I have a different perspective on life than a six and a four-year-old. Maybe, maybe there are similarities in some areas, but let's ignore those. I know that they need the shot. Now, it's not a perfect thing. You, know, you play with my illustration here. It's not perfect, but they need the shot. If I live for the immediacy, it's kind of silly to slam a needle in your arm and just have some pain and, and a little bit of soreness for the next two days. Why would you do that? Well, because I know about more than the next two days. It's for their good. You see, as, as a good parent, I will sometimes put my kids through discomfort because it's what they need. It's what's best for them. Sometimes sheep out in the field, they pick up nastiness on their fur, on their fur, on their wool, and they have to get, they call it dipped. Ticks and parasites and stuff. They will dip the sheep into a, um, like a pesticide type cleansing thing to clean them off. And we'll learn about that actually next week, why they do that. But I guarantee there's no sheep that comes up to the dipping booth. They're like, they're running away. But if they don't get dipped, they're not going to do well. They need to be dipped. Sometimes God has to, God allows us to go through things because he has a perfect perspective. Someone flip over to Romans 11, 33. Here's another Bible memory verse if you really want to stretch yourself out. Romans 11, verse 33. Anybody there? Those tabs are just... Would you read 33 to 35 for me, please? Uh-huh. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his virtues and how inexcusable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be paid? That's a great verse to stick in your head. Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who's given a gift to him that they might be repaid. We got a perception distortion, don't we? We're living in a, in a little pit in a valley in a hole in the ground, and we're trying to tell God how to run the universe. Well, folks, I can't tell you why children get abducted and murdered, because most of the time we don't get a why. But we also know in Romans, Paul says, all things work for the good of those who love God. Now, I've met a lady <clears throat> who had a young child die. It's a true story. I was walking down the trails one day, started talking with her. She was sharing with me that they had a very young child, her and her husband, who died of a horrible sickness. Died. Why would God let that happen? Well, as a result of it, her husband came to faith. She, she either came to faith or became passionate about her faith. And their family knows that they will be reunited one day in heaven for all of eternity. That's part of the why. That's not the whole why. You see, one day God will stop all evil and pain and suffering. And when he does that, there's a little bit of a problem for most of the people in the world. They go to hell. Not because God sends them, because they chose to follow that shepherd. You see, God loves the world so much that he stays his hand for a moment that people might have a chance of choosing him as their shepherd. Perspective. When we have the right perspective, we really don't ever want How did David not want with everything he had? Because he didn't look at life through a limited, temporal, worldly perspective. He remembered the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. We need to, too. We're also told by Jesus that as we go through life, we will face trials and tribulations. We will be persecuted. The Christian life isn't a life of, you know, being massaged daily as you're feasting on wonderful food and your private villa overlooking your private ocean. I think sometimes we want to sell it that way. It's not. That's like heaven. 
But actually that would pale in comparison to heaven. On this side we got some mess. But as we go through the mess, we will be cared for and protected perfectly. We're calling this one true security. There ain't nothing can happen to you that God doesn't allow or cause. No matter what happens to you in your life, a la David, there's a reason for it. If David didn't go through all that stuff, David wouldn't have been who David was. If David shepherded in the field and he had a profitable flock, and that's what he did for all the days of his life, how different would Israel have been? If David just had a javelin thrown at him and then became king, how different of a king would he have been? Now, God didn't make David sleep with Bathsheba, but he used it for good when David repented of it. There were consequences on the back end of it, but God used it for a purpose. What I'm saying is, we need to be content people, and we're only going to be content when we understand that God is our shepherd, and at that point we don't want because we know his perspective is different from ours. Now, here's a little frustrating thing. When you preach some nonsense like this, and then you see you struggle with it in your own life. Laura can attest yesterday when the mailing didn't come out. God, why? Come on, it's a mailing. It's not like we're living in a cave, right? God, what? You can't control the post office? You can't make it come through? You know, it's like, I'm getting all concerned. Like, like God lost control of it. God knows what's going on. I don't know what's going on. But He does. A proper Christian response is, darn, God, I thought they would be coming out. But I know you got it. I'll be ready. See, that's not what I default to all the time. It should be. Because when I allow God to be my shepherd, I shall not want. The only reason we want, folks, is because we don't want God to shepherd us in that situation. Now, you may think that what I'm saying is that the Christian life is a life of lacking. You know, you're going to go through all this junk, but all you do is smile and say, God's in control, God knows what He's doing, I'll be okay. No. The Christian life is a life of abundance. Abundant joy. Excuse me, security. Hope. Love. That's a Christian life. The people who have to be freaking out are the ones who don't love Jesus. I read this illustration about a, a Puritan who was sitting at, a, at the dinner table. And he sat down to a, a loaf of bread and a cup of water. And he said, all of this and Jesus too. Think about that. A loaf of bread and a cup of water and he's saying all of this and Jesus too. Folks, here's the problem with us. We sit down to a spread of food that you can't imagine with steaks and fries and vegetables and pies and, and sodas and wines and whatever everything you can imagine is sitting on the table. And we've got family and friends around us in a big old heated house and every amenity we can have or think of, you know, and we just say, I don't like the pie, the food's too cold, I don't like the company, the house isn't big enough. My word. The problem ain't with what we got, it's how we view it. All this in Jesus too, from water and, and bread? And what do we have in front of us? Folks, we all think that we're lacking. Someone's got a bigger house and a better playing job and more kids and a better spouse and a better car. And and there's always something that's going to look better from a world's perspective. But back it up. What did God give you? What did God entrust to you? All of that and Jesus too? Think about that. If we could live a life like the Puritan, we would be shocked by the abundance. God will give us everything we need And the amazing thing is sometimes he gives us what we want too. Just as a little, okay, here you go, I love you. Now he won't give you something that's going to draw you away from him, but he gives us a lot of the extra. He gives us the bread and the water and the pie and the wine and the fries and the cheese. And there's no reason he has to do that other than he loves us and he cares for us perfectly. And a switch rolls for a minute. Could you imagine if you uh, 
if you made a, say, Thanksgiving meal, and you worked so hard at putting this together, and people sat down at the table, and they're like, ugh, ugh, this junk again? Come on, I don't even want to eat this stuff. How would you feel if you, if you sweat and toil and spend money on all this food and put in all the time and the effort to put this food out, and that's what people say? What do you say to God most of the time? God, this house is small. God, my family's crazy. God, you know, God gave you exactly what you need to live in His will and do His will perfectly. The problem is we're whining so much because we're saying, you don't know what you're doing, God. Oh, God knows. We just need to be willing to trust. Here's the application. John 10.11 says, A good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In 1 Samuel 17, David tells this little story in verses 34 to 37. I'll flip there. Hopefully I'll make it. There's just so you know, there's a lot of pressure on a pastor when he's flipping in the Bible. Because if I start, you know, if I go by and I have to flip back, that just looks awkward. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant, meaning David, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Now when David said, God is my shepherd, he didn't read John 10.11, says a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, but he knew that. He didn't read it because it wasn't written yet. You get my point? When David said, God is my shepherd, I guarantee you this. He thought about that those days when he went out and protected his sheep and killed the lion and the bear and rescued the sheep out of their mouth. Folks, there is nobody out there that can do you any harm when God is your shepherd. Now, you may feel physical pain and discomfort, but if you do, it's for a moment. If you die, when you after we die, and this is the amazing thing, after we die and our perspective changes, there's going to be a whole lot of, oh, oh, oh. Life's horrible when you look at it from our perspective. When you look at it from God's perspective, it's not too different than getting a shot at the doctor. You know what both my kids said after they got their shot? That wasn't that bad. You know what we're going to say when we get to heaven? Oh, I'd do it again. David knew what a shepherd does. We need to understand what a shepherd does. And there are just two things we need to make sure of. First one is, got to make sure we know Jesus. You don't get God by default. Okay? You have to choose God as your shepherd. How do you choose God as your shepherd? You run to Jesus. There's a quick acronym stuck in my head. I hope it works. You recognize who he is. You understand who you are. And you accept the need you have before him. Okay? Run to Jesus. Second thing is, make sure you live like it. Now, God doesn't fence us in, though He protects us. Interesting little little thing here to understand. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, right? He also says, I am the gate. What does that mean? You got some picture of like, remember the Fantastic Four? Was that the thing where they took on like, form of water? Do you remember? Wonder Twins. Yeah, I'm like, Jesus says, form of gate. And you see a gate with two eyes that, you know, no. Way back in the day, sheep didn't, pens did not have swinging picket fences. I mean, we have this distortion of what it's like to be a shepherd. The shepherd slept in the gate. Jesus is the gate. You want to run by Jesus and say, I don't want to live here anymore, he ain't going to keep you. 
We have to choose our shepherd. But when we choose our shepherd, we need to live like it. We need to trust. Could you imagine if you're a sheep, you're huddled up in sheep. Bah. Let's get some better food. Bah. Let's run to Wegmans. Bah. And we'll find, I've heard they have fish there. Bah. Yeah, And they get this crazy idea of how they're going to break out and get to Wegmans and buy fish. And they're going to run into all these problems along the way. Like first, Wegmans ain't going to let a sheep come in. Second, they don't have money. Third, how are they going to say they want fish? It's not going to work. It's a crazy idea. But when we say Jesus is my shepherd, God is my shepherd, and then we huddle up and we're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell people about Jesus, but in a different way than God says. We're just going to do it kind of creatively. We're going to tell them just part of the gospel that they'll like, and we'll never tell them about the other part. Or, or let's just not tell anybody at all, because God will tell people about Jesus, and we'll just kind of try. And, and I know God says do this and that, but he really doesn't know. Well, see, folks, that works out about as well as a sheep going to get fish at Wegmans. We need to live like it. We need to know who he is, and we need to live like it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David didn't write that as a naive little boy. He wrote that as a man who had been through all of that stuff that I talked about. A little boy who started as a shepherd in the field of his daddy, who no one even remembered when Saul came to anoint the next king. You remember that? Not Saul. Samuel came to anoint the next king. You remember that story? Jesse lined him up. And then Saul, um, Samuel said, no, none of these. And then Jesse said, oh yeah, we got one more out in the field. That, that unrecognizable average little boy who was anointed king and then looked like he was going to be killed before he ever took the throne, became king. And he stumbled and stumbled and stumbled along the way. But he kept turning back to God. And he became a man, Paul tells us, after God's own heart. You know why? Because he let God shepherd him. Well, that's Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That sets the stage for the next five verses. When you say those, those few words, the whole, the whole psalm takes 40 seconds to read. Think about what it is. What does it mean, the Lord is my shepherd? When you hear a, a massive you know, funeral service or something packed with people reciting, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's not how it goes. It goes, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I follow God and I am set, is what it's saying. And we need to believe it and live like it. David did, albeit imperfectly, and we will do it imperfectly as we try. But folks, if you want life to the fullest, if you want true security, it doesn't come by sleeping in my parents' house. It comes by living in the field of the Most High God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the examples that you give us through the lives of people in Scripture. And I thank you for the words of David, who I look forward very much to meeting one day. And it's just a, a strange thought, but a true thought, that one day each and every one of us will get to meet the same guy who wrote Psalm 23. And that he'll know just about as much as us as we do of him as we spend eternity together. I thank you for the examples of his life, the good and the bad. And most of all, God, I thank you for the fact that you are our shepherd. And that to be our shepherd, you sent your son. Not because we deserved it, but rather instead of the fact that we were dirty, rotten, nasty, stubborn little sheep, you loved us so much that you were willing to lay down your life for us. God, we're thankful for the fact that you are the perfect great shepherd who will provide for us perfectly. They will be cared for perfectly. And we ask you to let us not be so stubborn and narrow-minded and temperamental, but to trust in you fully and understand the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge that you possess. When things don't make sense from where we sit, rather than crying out, telling you to change it, rather cry out and say, God, explain it and guide us, but help us understand a little more. Knowing that when we get to heaven, we'll have a greater understanding and things will make full sense.
God, whatever was from you today, I ask you to plant deeply in all of our hearts to grow it into a fruit-bearing tree. And whatever was just some nonsense that came out of my mouth that you would have quickly be forgotten by all of us. Thank you for the opportunity to get together today. Thank you for the opportunity to explore your word. And thank you for the fact that you love us. I pray as we go through this series, you will continue to show us what David really meant when he, when he penned these words through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of Psalm 23. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.